Welcome to Isabel Fans. This week, we interviewed Madame Pamita about her newest book, Baba Yaga's Book of Witchcraft, her background in magic and making, her process in writing the book, the current state of Ukraine, and so much more. So much, in fact, that we decided to break it up into a two-part episode. So, we hope you'll enjoy part one this week and look forward to releasing part two next week. Enjoy. Light from Lantern presents Knit a Spell. I'm magical maker, Katie Rempe. And I'm the maker of magic, James Devine. Join us as we stitch together the symbiotic relationship between crafting and the craft. Today, Katie, we have an awesome guest that I have been waiting for ever since we started. It is my good friend, Madame Pamita. Madame Pamita is a Ukrainian diaspora witch. Like a spore. A mushroom Everywhere. Spore. <laughs> right. I would love to be a mushroom in my next life. Oh my God. Ditto. She's a teacher, an author, a candle maker, a spellcaster, and she's really known as a tarot reader. She has a popular YouTube channel for teaching witchcraft. She hosts two podcasts, Baba Yaga's Magic and Magic and the Law of Attraction. And she is the author of Bobby Yaga's Book of Witchcraft, also the, as in the, the one and only <laughs> Book of Candle Magic, mm-hmm. and Madame Pamita's Magical Tarot. She is also the proprietress of the online spiritual apothecary, The Parlor of Wonders, uh, an amazing shop. She lives in Santa Monica, California. You can find her at parlorofwonders.com. That's spelled with a U in the middle, like the old-fashioned way. Fancy. Welcome to Knit a Spell, Madame Pamita. Woo! I just realized I make I make a bio that's like a tongue twister. <laughs> it's a test. To... Exactly. I was like, how mean of me. <laughs> Madame Pamita picked a peck of pickled peppers and sells it to you on the internet. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Hi, you guys. I'm so glad to be uh, here. <laughs> yes. This has been a long time coming. Katie Learns Magic featured one of your amazing candles. Plus, I love this book. It was so great to get this perspective. And as a crafter, magical maker, talk about drool. We're very excited to dive into that today. Yay! Yeah, it's really, it's interesting because um, so much of that book is crafting. So much of that book is crafting and showing you the magic of the crafts. And there's a lot of fiber art in there because there's a lot of importance and magic in, in fiber in Ukrainian culture. It's huge in Ukrainian culture. So, and I didn't even get into all of it. I mean, golly, there's like rug weaving and all kinds of other things that I didn't really get too deeply into because most people don't have big looms in their house, you know, but I I tried to focus on the things that people could do with what, you know, easy to acquire small things. Mm. It's cool because the Slavic magic, it seems to have a certain connection, even more so than some of the Western traditions that we have in Wicca or in uh, Wiccan-ish traditions. Slavic magic, I don't know why. Why do you think it seems to have a connection to the old country still? Is that my imagination? No, I don't think it's your imagination because I think for, especially for Ukraine, people really for hundreds of years have really very preciously kept traditions going either through oral tradition, passing down something for family member to family member, which is really how I 
got started was my grandmother taught my mother, my mother taught me. So as we look at these traditions, um, people, we see now because Ukraine is more in a spotlight now of how, how proud Ukrainian people are in particular of their traditions, because even so recently, I mean, even now it's happening right now, but during Soviet times, they were suppressed and, and uh, co-opted and all of these things. So I think when you look at cultures that have been colonized all across the board, I think a great example actually is if you look at um, what's happening in Great Britain, because we're more familiar with that, we're familiar with the languages and so on. Um, you find uh, Scots people really hanging on to Scottish heritage and Irish people and Welsh people um, reclaiming their languages, reclaiming uh, traditions and very preciously guarding those traditions because you had a colonizing country, England, coming in and saying to people in the 20th century, in particular 19th and 20th century, um, if you want a job, you can't speak Welsh, you have to speak English. The same thing happened in Ukraine with Russia and Russian you know, people said, well, if you want a job, you need to speak Russian. So there was a lot of pushback. I mean, there's definitely differences. There's a lot of pushback in the 1800s. And then it really got squashed in the early 20th century. And but people are it's like the weed with the flower. I won't say the weed, the flower coming up out of the cracks in the sidewalk. You know, that that love of the culture is so deep. So you find people who are non-magical people. For example, and we've if we talk about fiber arts, we find non-magical people um, wearing vishivanki, which are the embroidered blouses, the embroidered shirts, knowing that these are talismanic, even if they're Christian or atheist, they they acknowledge the pagan source of these things, and they acknowledge that they're talismanic, and they um, see them as protective, even if they're not pagans. You know, so I think that 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 holding on to um, culture when it's really actively trying to be suppressed, it becomes much more precious. Wow, that's amazing. Tell me a little history about how you and Jim uh, got to know each other, how you in particular started with your magical journey. Well, I um, I grew up in a magical household because my mom, um, my grandmother died before I was born. But my mom carried on my grandmother's traditions, albeit in a, a sort of, I want to say maybe she's a first generation American, right? So she really wanted to fit in. You know, she was born in the 1920s, you know, was in her a young woman in the 40s and the 50s when World War II was going on. And so to be American and to be seen as American was really important to her. We had some of these holiday things and foods that were integrated into our life. I always say, I know all the holiday words and I know all the food words because we did have those things. And then little magical things that would um, come up. And she would tell me stories about things that my grandmother did, but she, my grandmother died when my mom was only like 20 or 21. So she was very young when her mother died. So she didn't have a lot of context for these things. So I got started in magic as a child going to church and lighting a candle and making a wish that's candle magic. I say, that's really my first candle magic was Catholic candle magic. Um, we did little things around the house, it, but I didn't know any different when you grow up in that environment, you don't know any different. Right. So like, I think Jim with your Italian grandma, 
you probably did magical things, but you didn't know they were magical and you didn't know they were weird, right? Because that's what you grew up in. I did Catholic candle magic at church also <laughs> candle yeah. for an intention. Yeah, same. That's candle magic, right? I still go and when I'm in Europe and they have those beautiful churches, I go into a church and I do candle magic in the church all the time, right? When I'm on the go. So um, anyway, so when I was young, like I was 10 years old, my mom didn't have a fear of magic divination and all that stuff. So like I had a Ouija board. She bought me my first tarot deck in Salem, Massachusetts. We were traveling and I wanted a tarot deck. She bought it for me at 10 years old. So I didn't have that kind of forbidden fruit aspect to any of it. As long as I was Catholic and I was going to church and I was doing all the Catholic, she didn't care what you did. And that's really a hallmark of Slavic magic because a lot of people have a double faith. They practice all the pagan things, but they go to church and they put a veneer of Catholicism or Christianity over their um, practices. So like, oh, this egg with a pagan symbol on it that's existed for thousands of years before Jesus was even born, but we're going to call them Easter eggs. In American culture, we see that with Christmas trees. It's very similar. We have Christmas trees up in the house. People can be Christian and have a Christmas tree, but we know Christmas trees are Germanic pagan. It's a very bigger version of that, you know, where a lot of things in the practices are, are done. And as long as you have that veneer of Christianity over it, you're fine. So I grew up in that environment. And so I really got, you know, sort of had that. And then when I was in my teens and in my twenties, I really made my break from the Catholic church and said, you know, I'm looking for something. And I, and I, and I knew as a young girl, what I wanted to do was witchcraft, but I didn't know how or where, because we didn't have the internet back then, (laughs) you know? And if you're a kid, um, you know, you get what you can get where you can get it. So we had like um, Sybil Leake's uh, Diary of a Witch in our junior high school library. And I read that voraciously and learned a lot from her books. And, um, you know, I sort of picked up things here and there from library books. And then when I was in my 20s and I could drive and go to a bookstore and more books were coming out by that time in the 80s, um, then I started really studying and studying with women. I had a coven I belonged to and uh, all kinds of things happened in that way. So that's my story. Fast forward up until yeah, I know I oh, I know I just look like I'm still in my 20s, but <laughs> aren't we all? But um, fast forward then to um, a few years ago, several years ago, a few years ago, pre-COVID times. That's our marker now. Yeah. Um, I was at a, a, a convention and I had a booth set up, and I just come out with my book, um, Madame Pemita's Magical Tarot. So I wanted to promote it. So I was promoting that and selling a few things. My friend Chelsea and I were there and working and this cute guy comes up with his cute boyfriend and he's like, oh, what's this book about? And I was like, it's about tarot. And he's like, oh, I don't read tarot. I'm a palm reader. Well, you can guess who that was. (laughs) Knowing, Hmm. I think we know about palm reader. And I go, Hey, palms in the tarot. Like I'm trying to get, make a sale really. Don't let him go. Don't let him go. (laughs) Exactly. So he opened up, I opened up, I think I showed him a card. I didn't even open the book. I showed him a card and I said the devil card. Now, the reason I showed him the devil card in the tarot is because if you look closely at that, there's a, there are lines on the devil's palm. And I thought that's what palm reading is, right? Don't we all think that's what palm reading is? Isn't that yes. what palm reading is? Just and then you die. Only? Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to find some connection. And so this guy who knew nothing about tarot 
said, started saying all this information about the position of the hands and what it indicated. And we were like, what? You don't know tarot. You just described exactly what this card means, Mm. but in an interesting, deep, very knowledgeable way, not a superficial way. I mean, obviously anyone looking at the devil card is going to go, Oh, something bad's going to happen. Right. Or whatever. Right. But he was going into very deep esoteric wisdom based on the position that the hands were in. And we, and then my friend Chelsea, we were freaking out. And then Chelsea goes, do another one. And so we brought up the Hierophant card. And he's like, oh yeah, this position is the teacher position. This is this, this is that. And we were freaking out that the hands were describing the meaning of that card in this very esoteric, interesting way. And our minds were blown. So that's our dramatic, very dramatic story of how we met. Do you have any? There were people started to gather around the table and we're like, wait, what? Because you're discovering this together, right? Right. We were just like discovering it. And I had never thought about the hands. Well, of course, there are people in the tarot pictures. I had worked with the tarot just personally, not professionally. I had pulled cards for myself. We have like, we're witches. We have like, what, 15 decks at the house. I had never really, it never really truly spoken to me because I'd always been into palmistry. But the minute that Pam had said, oh, there's hands in there. And I started interpreting the hand gestures. Suddenly the, it became alive to me instantly mm-hmm. because Pam just opened the door. I didn't know the meanings of those cards. I didn't have them memorized. I didn't know what the hierophant meant. I could barely remember what a hierophant was. And so just reading the hand gestures, I was saying these things like, well, your actions are aligned between leadership and and boundaries. And you're bounded by this teacher teaching of tradition and and wisdom and all this stuff. And Pam's like, it's a teacher of traditional wisdom. What the hell? (laughs) Is this a setup? Am I being punked? What's happening here? Wow. But then it was either you or Chelsea, someone was like, you should do this talk at Pantheacon, which is a great big, like at the time it was the biggest sort of witchy convention in the nation. So Pam was like, okay. And she just is such a brilliant writer. She just immediately wrote a proposal for a course. She named it the Palmistry Tarot Mashup. And so we just started working on it sort of long distance. We met each other for the first time, sight unseen, and it was accepted. And do you remember how that went? Pam, we like standing room only. It was early in the morning on a Sunday morning, which Sunday. is like that, they gave us Oof, the really that's worst a hard sell. Exactly. Everyone's, Everyone's hung over. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but we had a standing room only crowd and we were uh it was we had to even I think turn people away because it was overcrowded and wow. the fire regulations and all that. Okay. But um we had such enthusiastic people, we just crushed it because everybody that was there was there because they really were tarot people there. That's, I mean, you can be a non-tarot person and get it, but when you're a tarot person, I think your mind gets blown by this information because like my mind was blown when we were all standing there and going like, you don't know anything about tarot BS because you're just exactly describing this. And he's like, no, really, I don't. And then when you learn about the hand gestures and the modern mudras and all of that, and you understand that what he's saying is actually applicable across the board. It's not something he's just pulling out of his, you know, hat because of, of just to say, you know, to make it fit the card. He's actually saying that something that has long documentation in his methods. So 
that's even more exciting. So Madam Pamita and I have worked on the Palmistry Tarot mashup as a class. We have an online version that people can get through my website. We have, we've traveled the nation literally from um, Santa Cruz to Brooklyn (laughs) and places in between. I love doing that class with you. It's like one of the funnest things to do with you. Yeah, we have, we laugh a lot. (laughs) So that's that. All right. Show's over. We talked about everything. (laughs) Yes. When did you first learn about Baba Yaga? Was Baba Yaga a term that you were taught as a child? Or did you learn about this archetype and then learn her name later? I can't remember when I got introduced to her, which tells me it's been since, you know, I was a little girl. So I knew about Baba Yaha. We would call her in Ukrainian. Baba Yaga is English version of that. And Baba Yaga is the Russian version of that. What's the best way for us to pronounce it? I just say Baba Yaga when I'm speaking in English, you know, so people are going to understand (laughs) what people are going to understand the most in looking at this archetype. um, I don't know what, what inspired me to get, I, well, I do know what inspired me, but I don't know exactly when it happened or when that transition happened, but, you know, she's always a kind of secondary character in a, a, an antagonist or secondary character in the fairy tale. She doesn't have any um, old fairy tales that are just about her. So she'll, she'll, but she does show up in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fairy tales, pan Slavic fairy tales. So she's variations of her show up in, of course, Russian folk tales, but also Belarus, Poland, Ukraine, Croatia, Serbia, Bulgaria. You find these variations of her Macedonia. I mean, you can go into all the, the Slavic countries and find a Baba Yaga character. We even see at a a correspondence, which isn't very surprising in some of the Germanic tales. So we have have somebody in Germanic um, folklore named Frau Perkta or Frau Berta, um, who is like a, a a wicked old witch who comes around at the um, fall winter time, and she um, uh, goes around and checks your house to see if it's clean, and if it isn't clean, she whacks you with something uh, implement that she's carrying. So this is um, <clears throat> something that you know we aren't seeing it like contained by borders. Um, we also see, you know, there's like the Wicked Witch in Hansel and Gretel. So for people who aren't familiar, see, I thought everybody was familiar with her again, because this is the way I grew up. I thought, oh, yeah, everyone at least knows who Baba Yaga is, right? And if they don't know the stories that, you know, word for word, but there, I found a lot of people and actually a lot of witches who weren't familiar because I thought, well, maybe, okay, it makes sense that maybe regular people, but witches not being familiar with her was pretty uh, eye-opening for me. So what I like to tell people is that the closest thing that they're probably familiar with, we're mostly talking to people in the States or in Western Europe, is um, the, the witch in Hansel and Gretel. The witch in Hansel and Gretel, you know, she lures the children in and then she's going to fatten them up and then she's going to put them in the fire and eat them. Um, so in some stories of Baba Yaga, she is that kind of ogre creature whose sole purpose is just to consume something. But even within those stories, there's some deeper significant spiritual meaning that goes back to ancient practices that we can talk about. But I think that these stories where she's an evil, um, uh, evil character or ogre character are actually the newer stories, the post Christianity story. So when once Christianity came into Slavic nations in 988 AC, 
um, we see that evil version of her. But prior, the older stories tend to focus on her as either very ambiguous, like she could go either way, or she's a donor character of some kind. But her unifying thing is that she's always a crone and always powerful. So she's never depicted as a young um, a young woman. Um, she's always old. She's always kind of um, a little bit, a little bit intimidating because of her looks. Sometimes ugly, just intimidating, wrinkled, old looking. Um, but she's extremely, extremely powerful. So whether you're going to her and she's going to eat you, or she, you're going to her and she's going to give you a magical gift, that's where we see this unifying theme, and that's the essence of her: is that she is a forest witch. She is solitary witch. She is a crone and she's extremely powerful. And we go back in lore and legend and we see the forest mother or the forest grandmother as this caretaker of the forest realm. And really that's who she is. And that is going back to her oldest pagan roots. And this is the way her story was continued to be carried on. Even in Christian times, it's like, oh, I'm just telling a fairy tale about the spirit. So, or a little, say, don't go there. Baba Yaga is going to get you, you know, kind of those kind of statements would be said. So um, that's really who she is versus sort of who she has evolved to be understood to be. So she's that spirit that people would go to. And if we look at those old stories, people go to her with a question, a problem or a need of some kind. And then she oftentimes will test the person. Sometimes she doesn't test them and she gives them something and then they go on their way. That's when she just sort of makes a cameo appearance in the story. The hero comes in and she gives him the information where she need, he needs to go. You know, sometimes she makes those little cameo appearances, but the ones where she's more involved, it usually involves some kind of test. So you're going to do this thing. And at the end, if you accomplish it, I'll give you the result, which also relates to the story Rumpelstiltskin. You know, there's that kind of thing. You, the, the, girl needs to spin the whole room of uh, flax into gold or straw into gold or whatever. And once she gets the help, the magical help and accomplishes this, then um, she gets the reward. So those stories we see like, you know, blending and crossover in the stories. So Baba Yaga would often give a test of some kind. And then usually in the stories, there's like a, uh, let's say the the good girl and the lazy girl and the good girl will do all the things and then she'll get some reward. And then this evil stepmother says, Oh, well, I want my daughter to get that reward too. It's just, she sends the lazy daughter off to do. It. And of course the lazy daughter doesn't accomplish the things. And then she gets some kind of terrible thing happening to her. But what that tells us is also, it tells us about ancient spiritual practices of initiation. This is an initiation when you're ready to go on to being the healer of the community or join the group of healers or join the group of warriors or join the group of uh, house builders, you would go through some initiation process An initiation process, a good initiation process is not meant to keep you out, but meant to prove to yourself and to the higher ups that you're ready for that next step. So whether you're being initiated into the world of adults or whatever, you're going to go through an initiation of some kind. Well, in Trapillion culture and old cultures that existed 7,000 years ago on the land that's now Ukraine and um, uh, Hungary and Moldova, um, these areas, or sorry, Romania, not Hungary, Romania, Moldova, and Ukraine, these areas had Trapillion cultures. There's lots of different 
cultures that existed, Neolithic cultures that existed at this time. But we see a very interesting thing. Um, in Trapillion culture, they would have initiation huts. These initiation huts would look like the the um, power animal of the of the group. So if your group, if your tribe or your city was the badger, your your little initiation hut would look like a badger, and you would go in through the door of the um, mouth of the badger into the badger. So there's an act of consuming that we see in the Baba Yaga stories. She's going to eat you, which is also an initiation, a symbolic initiation. And these huts that they would have out in the woods, far away, you go to the initiation hut, were animal-shaped and stood on legs, four legs. Well, what do we see with Baba Yaga's house? It has chicken legs. It's, it is quasi-anthropomorphic. It's alive. And you go in through the door into that other world, into that world of the spirits when you enter in, just like you go into the initiation hut, you are going to meet your teacher and be tested and then emerge from the hut with the gift of being initiated or you're not ready this year, kid, come back next year, right? So that's really her role is an initiator. And when you start to see the stories through that lens, they're all initiations, whether she's putting you into the fire, into the oven, which for Ukrainians was the symbolic home of the spirits. The peach, the oven was the home where the ancestors lived. So it's not, I'm just going to eat you or I'm just going to burn you. I'm, I'm putting you into the world of spirit. Oh, you avoided that. You escaped it, you know, this time. So you're not going yet to that world of the spirit. That's another initiation. So we see her as a, a really very fascinating, very complex and teaching us about old ways when these things weren't documented. We can find that out through that. So amazing. And you write the book in that way. Like, that's what I really love about the way that you have written the book. It's like every chapter is an invitation to go on that journey of initiation. Each one is written in those three, with those three voices. First is the- The, the story of Vaselina. Yeah, like the fairy tale. Then is right. admonishment mm-hmm. from Baba Yaga. <laughs> then it's the Madame Pamita's lesson about it. Like how and can you do it? Yeah. That worked so well for me throughout the book. There's so much meta in this book yes. that now it didn't really, I wasn't really thinking in a meta way when I was making it, but when, you know, you're channeling when you're writing or creating anything, actually, whether you're knitting or sewing or we, you're, if you're going just sort of like this, you're channeling, right? So as you're creating and doing something, um, you kind of got to trust the whole process. And then you come out with something at the end and you're like, oh, I'm actually seeing things in this. So I didn't really consciously see it at the time, but the story of Vaselina, as she goes through, she's being initiated. And at the end, a lot of fairy tales, the happy ending is the girl gets married. Maybe she marries a prince. Maybe she marries this. I didn't want to have that. I wanted to have her be a witch. Like she got initiated into being a witch. And that doesn't exist in any real fairy tale where we see that process of the lineage so that she then becomes the village witch who then has the little children and she's teaching the little children. And that's really kind of the wrap up at the end. Spoiler, I should have said spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> 
I don't think it's going to spoil anything. But um, yeah, so so that has an initiation. You watch her initiation as she goes through this and what she goes through on a fairy tale level. But then you can also learn and you can just read the book and be fine with that. But if you want to really try something to stretch yourself, which is what an init- a good initiation does mm-hmm. and what Baba Yaga is really all about is about I'm going, I believe in you, Katie, and I believe in you, Jim, more than you believe in yourself. So I'm going to give you something really hard that you think is a reach, a real reach, not because I want to thwart you, but because I see your potential and I know you can do it. Right. It's that teacher you had that you're like, why do you hate me? And they're like, because you're lazy. Exactly. And you hate them at the time. I mean, I think of my, my analogy is often like the Olympic coach who mm. says, uh, you know, Katie, you're going to be an Olympic gymnast, but you're going to, I see that you can get a gold medal, but to get that gold medal, you're going to have to come here 15 hours a day, seven days a week and train until the tryouts for the Olympics. And you're like, you know, great. You jump into it. And then halfway through, you're like, screw this. And you hate your coach because they're making you work harder than you think, but they're not doing it to punish you. They're not doing it to thwart you. They're doing it. They're not wasting their time. Baba Yaga doesn't waste her time, right? She's not going to present herself to you to work with her unless you are ready for it. And worthy. And so, yeah. And mm-hmm. I really wasn't ready for it until I hit menopause and became a crone. And then I'm like, Oh, I want a crone role model. Where are my crone role models? And I'm like, Oh, Baba Yaga. Mm. Oh, wait. Yeah. Let me find out more about her. And that's when I really dove into a relationship with her versus just knowing her as a fairy tale. And so in writing this book, what do you feel like your initiation was? Oh, OMG, the whole book, Jim knows. Yeah, it was the book. Yeah, right. Jim this knows because I was best. just going, I hate it. It's terrible. I'm going to talk to you and I wouldn't be able to do it. I have to stay home. I'm writing. And do <laughs> so, um, so in writing this book, I did not know what I was getting myself into. I did not have any clue. Like the tarot book was my first book. So there were challenges learning how to write a book. Second book, Candle Magic book. Oh my God. I wrote that. I was like on a train in England writing my book. And then I'm at airport here writing my book. Oh, it's so easy. So why was it easy to write? I've been doing candle magic for 40 years longer at that time. You know, if you count my Catholic school school days, then, you know, I was doing candle magic from the time I was born. And you've already written a book. You get how it works. You're a very Mm -hmm. good writer. It was like, okay, I get how this works. And you just blew through it. Yeah. Bippity bobbity boo. I was fine. And so then I thought, oh, ha, 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 it's so easy to write a book. Now it's so easy to write a book. I'm going to write a book about Slavic magic. Okay, let me present this book and I'll talk about this. And so I got my ideas, different things I wanted to talk about. And then I started doing the research and there's nothing out there in English, nothing out there, nothing. There are no other books. I mean, I'm not saying this to be arrogant. I'm saying this because... There are no books about Ukrainian magic in English. Mm. And so then I was having to do research and, and research in another language that I didn't know. Oh. And that made me cry many times <laughs> because I would, I would have to understand. Oh my God. There's so many details of why it was like the most frustrating thing, 
but I was so passionate. And I feel like also too, I was really being nudged by my grandmother's spirit and by Baba Yaga to really do this book. So I felt a responsibility to those spirits. I also felt like this is something I want there to be in the world and I'm super passionate about it. And I know it's going to be a a beautiful book that people will love because this is something that does, because there is nothing out there that exists out there like this. So it took me two years and many delays on like, I pushed my due date out as two, two times. I think I moved it until it was the very last date that I could actually be in the same catalog, which is how they plan it out. You know, you've got a space in a catalog that's coming up and it's like, girl, there's no more spaces. <laughs> You're in the last space. And I'm like, okay, I can do it. So, and then I had to put footnotes in. I had to find, oh my God, it was insane. It was not my favorite thing, but I learned a lot about writing a really heavily researched book in another language. And now I feel like, oh, and now I can really do it. I'm like, I know what to do now. But that was such a monumental task. And it happened during COVID. So I got to stay home and worked on the weekends and stayed home during all week long. And I would work 12 hours a day writing and researching and gathering information and distilling that information and then putting it into some kind of context and order and all of that. It was like, oh my gosh, what a what an ordeal. Like I if I had known what I was getting myself into. I would have turned it down, but I think that's why we don't know in advance normally, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like childbirth. Yeah. It's they're like, like, no, 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 no. Take that all out. Kids. <laughs> you think it's going to be great. And then you have them and you're like, oh my God, I'm losing my mind. Except you didn't have an epidural for this book. <laughs> no, I didn't have an epidural. It was all natural. <laughs> so in terms of like creating the book, that was like my really big, ch- I had so many big challenges, but I, I tell you something. This is what is about, this is magic. And this is what working with spirits is all about. Because I started this book two and a half, three years ago is when I started the, the proposal for this book. Three years ago, I had no inkling, a clue that there would be a war that would put an invasion by a terrorist organization into this country of Ukraine that would put Ukraine on people's radar. I had no idea. Baba Yaga knew, right? Which is right. why she's like, okay, girl, we need to do this now, right? <laughs> There's only that one space was- left in the book. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> and it came out exactly at the time oh. when Slavic magic and Slavic culture and Ukrainian culture is so in the news. Now, that ain't me. And it's not a coincidence. It's spirit working through you. And I've had this happen many times where a spirit has said, you need to do this thing. And then it turns out that the, the, the lag time of me getting the thing done lines up perfectly with something that the spirit needs, that the mm. spirit needs. I've often described that as the marination period. Like, why won't this idea that is so good just be done already? And that's usually like, because you haven't learned the thing that's going to like make it 10 times better. So just wait. It's a long yeah. process making a book and having it published. It's a very slow process. It's very interesting. It's different. I, you know, grew up being a musician and you make a record and then like a couple months later it's pressed and it's out. It seems like, you know, mix and all of that. You're there along the whole process with a book, you finish the manuscript and then there's like a, a year before that book comes out. Right? right. Practically. There's a couple of times when you're going in and, and checking for typos and things like that, but virtually your book is done. And then it's a year later that it comes out. So you can't really plan for an event. Thanks for tuning in to part one of our interview with Madam Pamita. 
We hope you'll check out all of her amazing offerings at parlorofwonders.com. There you can sign up for her newsletter where you'll receive a free 33-page magical guide. You can also find out more about her weekly Q&A sessions on Sunday and browse the beautiful selection of handcrafted candles, oils, and more. That's parlorofwonders.com. See you next week when we wrap up this inspiring interview. Hey, everyone. This is Madam Pamita. And you may not know this, but you've just gotten an owl to come to which school? Every first Sunday of the month, I have something called First Sunday's Witchcraft Workshops. Join me for the First Sunday Witchcraft Workshops each month for a new online workshop where I will be guiding you through an immersive magical topic, teaching you how to apply it to your daily practice. These workshops are live on Zoom and led by me and are fun, educational, and I would say life-changing. So if you'd like to find out this Sunday, because we have a first Sunday coming up, next Sunday is August 7th, and we're going to be doing a very special workshop called Vishivanki, Slavic Talismanic Embroidery. You might have admired those beautiful embroidered Slavic blouses called Vishivanki with their cross-stitched designs along the arms and across the chest that are worn by Ukrainian men and women. But did you know that these pretty patterns are actually encoded talismans for protection, health, abundance, and love? In this workshop, you'll learn how to decipher the encoded traditional symbols and how to make your own embroidered talisman for your intentions. You can join me in the workshop or you can watch the video afterwards. But to do it, you have to sign up now because this workshop is happening August 7th and we don't sell tickets after the event. If you'd like to find out more and you'd like to sign up, you can go to witchcraftworkshops.com. Scroll down a bit and you'll find August 7th, Vishivanki Slavic Talismanic Embroidery. There's a whole bunch of other great Slavic magic workshops coming up. I got a spinning one coming up for all you crafty people. We can talk about magical spinning and all kinds of other crafty things, making a beautiful duduk, which is a special winter solstice um, place to invite your ancestors. We've got Slavic living fire magic, Slavic wax pouring rituals. We've got a lot of cool things coming up. So go check it out. Go to witchcraftworkshops.com. So Jim, I was hoping that you could tell the folks at home and our listeners about your amazing class, Palmistry Tarot Mashup. So the Palmistry Tarot Mashup is an exploration of some hidden, in plain sight, symbolism in the Rider-Waite-Smith tarot cards. The Rider-Waite-Smith tarot cards have people in almost all of the cards. And with my friend, Madame Pamita, we dive in and decipher the secret signals the hand gestures are sending us in the tarot deck. You will learn about how the hands and finger positions, what they mean and how to interpret them and get an insight into human nature and human unconscious. You can get lifetime access to this class for just $29 by visiting bit dot ly forward slash pt mashup the palmistry tarot mashup it's super fun lifetime access self-paced you took the class i did and i learned a lot and i can't recommend it highly enough so definitely check it out and you'll be glad you did because your tarot reading skills are going to be increased exponentially by these two wonderful hosts on this class so don't miss out 
Thanks for Thanks listening. for listening. If you enjoyed the show, consider sharing it with a friend, leaving a review on iTunes and Spotify, or following Knit a Spell on Instagram. You can also subscribe to the Light from Lantern YouTube channel to enjoy full episodes of Knit a Spell and see our happy faces. You can also learn more about readings, classes, and events going on with your favorite maker of magic, James Devine, by visiting thedivinehand.com and subscribing to his newsletter. Then follow Jim's fun and interactive Instagram account at Divine Hand Jim. Keep up with Katie, the magical maker, by subscribing to her newsletter at lightfromlantern.com. You'll even receive a free knitting pattern as a thank you gift. Then follow Katie on Instagram at lightfromlantern for even more magical making tips. See you See next, next week. week.